you got a Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue to work our way through Mark's Gospel, uh, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 to 20 together. If you have a copy of it in front of you, uh, you can follow along. If not, it's on the screen behind me as we read. But in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Jesus moves into a section, or Mark moves into a section of his gospel account in which he begins to recount many of Jesus' parables. And we find ourselves with the first one this morning, the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. In verse 1, we pick up and we begin to read, Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea, on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell in good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The, one, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, my junior year in high school, uh, I was. Uh, in May, so it would have been May of uh, two, no, May of 1994. Um, I had been injured playing baseball. I had blown out some ligaments in my knee, and about the same time, my paternal grandmother was in the hospital, dying of congestive heart failure. Um, and I can remember distinctly uh, whenever she passed, uh, being a pallbearer at her funeral and walking alongside the casket on crutches. Um, to serve in that capacity. Uh, fast forward a number of years later, and my uncle on my father's side uh, was being cracked open on an operating table to have a quadruple bypass uh, to take parts of uh, arteries from other parts of his body and graft them into the arteries around his heart because they were so clogged that his, they were not functioning at the capacity they needed to function at. 
A few years later, I can remember uh, receiving a phone call from my, own, my mother saying my own father was going in to have several stents placed to prop open the arteries around his heart because they were beginning to fail. See, my family, my, my, genet- my biologically, my, on my paternal side, my father's side, my family has a history of heart issues. Okay, so congestive heart failure with my grandmother. My father now has congestive heart failure. Um, his, his, his feet are always swollen. He's taking um, medicine to help clear out all of his fluids. My uncle had a quadruple bypass. Because there are certain things that tend to run in families, isn't there? There are certain issues, certain medical issues, certain physical issues that have a tendency to run genetically through family lines. Now listen, your family may not have that particular issue that passes down from generation to generation genetically or physiologically. They may not have congestive heart failure that you're worried about. But listen, I want you to know if you're a human being in the room this morning, you are related to a family who's come before you who have heart issues. Right? Spiritual heart issues. And it seems oftentimes whenever Jesus begins to address the issues of the heart, He does so in ways um, that at times can be a little bit uh, veiled. Okay? And He does so many times through what the Bible calls parables. And so this morning, church, as we come to this particular text today, and by the way, this will be the last message in this series for a little while as we break for Advent and first of the year. We'll come back to Mark after the first of the year. But what we're going to look at this morning is a little bit of a spiritual heart checkup for ourselves as, in, as believers in Christ and for our church. Because Jesus, whenever He tells this parable, He's not just talking about soil in your backyard, but He's talking about the condition of your heart. He's talking about the type of receptivity that you might have to the Word that is being proclaimed or preached, the Word that you are reading. And listen, every human family, we're told in the book of Jeremiah that the heart, the human heart, is deceitful of all things. Who can comprehend it? In other words, who can understand it? How fickle it is at times, right? And so the reality is that every person in this room has a spiritual heart condition and there's a heart checkup for us this morning in this particular parable. In verse 2, we read these words. He was teaching them many things in parables. And listen, a parable in the ancient world was a teaching tool that was used, that, that, that used uh, comparison of spiritual realities to natural realities. Right? So, for, for instance, C.H. Dodd, who was an author, uh, wrote on his book in the, about the parables of the kingdom. He defined a parable in this way. He says, a parable at its simplest is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life that arrests the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and it leaves the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application for this purpose, to tease out active thought. Because the parables are meant to be meditated on, chewed on, wrestled with. See, parables typically in the Bible, they have one point, but the supporting material in them supports that one point that it builds to. And listen, while everyone's able to process the natural realities that Jesus speaks of in His parables, only those who've been, as we talked about last week, rescued from the strong man and from His grip, who have been freed from His prison, only those who have come to faith in Jesus are able to comprehend the spiritual realities that are operational in the parables. Another author, James Edwards, said it this way. He said, parables are like stained glass windows in a cathedral. 
They're dull and lifeless from the outside, but brilliant and radiant from the inside. See, for those of you who walk with Jesus and you know Jesus, the parables come to life. There's all this vividness and color to them, whereas those who don't know Christ, they're standing on the outside of the cathedral and all they see is this dull, dull glass. But for those on the inside, it's brilliant. Now listen, what Jesus didn't invent the parables, but He certainly perfected them. Okay, and the way that he taught and the purposes for which he used them. And he preferred to teach this way. And so Jesus, listen, he gives them this parable at the very outset. And Mark puts it at the beginning because I think of all the parables, the way he orders it is for this reason, because he wants us to see that what, what, what matters most and whether or not you understand the rest of the parables is the condition of your heart as you receive them. So as we take a look at this parable, there's, there's several things I want you to see. And the first one is this, church. As we consider this spiritual heart checkup this morning is this, is that hearing happens in the heart. That's where hearing happens. Listen, when Jesus says this in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. He's not talking about these cartilage appendages that protrude from the sides of our skulls. That's not what he's talking about. If he had been saying that, then the reality would have been, listen, that there's many people in the crowd who didn't have ears. They'd all been like, chopped off. Like Peter with Malchus right there with a sword. Just, I'd love to have been there and seen Jesus pick up the ear and like, slam it back on the side of his head, right? But here's the reality. Jesus is talking to everyone who has these cartilage appendages but he's saying, listen, there's another kind of ear that you need if you're going to hear the truths that I'm presenting to you through my teaching and through these parables. There's ears of the heart, right? Have you ever noticed at times? Right? Let me see if I can break it down for you this way, okay? Listen, growing up, my, my, my parents, when we went on road trips together, okay, there was, my dad would always say this, there's only... Two kinds of music. Some of you know what I'm about to say, right? Two kinds of music. Country and Western. <laughs> Those were the only two kinds of music in my home growing up. All right? And so we listened to old school classic country like Willie. All right? And Waylon. And Johnny. And we listened to Reba. Oh, my mom loves some Reba. All right? Listen to some Randy Travis and some George Strait back in the olden days. Some Alan Jackson when he was first breaking onto the scene. Okay? So that, that's the kind of music we listened to growing up. But listen, my taste in music, I, I like some country. I like a little old school country, a little modern country. I like a, a little hip hop. I can listen to a little rap. Right? I, I had, as, as, a, as a teenager, I began to emerge and had this very eclectic taste in music. And so when I'd be playing music in my room, right, or when I started to drive and I was listening to my own music, my parents would get in the car with me my dad would always have something to say about the music that I was listening to because it wasn't country or western. Right? Because I was oftentimes captivated by either rhythms, beats, or lyrics that drew me into the story of a particular song. But all my dad could hear was noise if it wasn't country or western. Right? You, have you found that to be true? There are sometimes... You can hear the exact same thing. You can be listening to the exact same thing as someone else. And yet you hear 
not less than they do, but more than they do. Or they hear not less than you do, but they hear more than you do. That's what Jesus is talking about here. See, there are times in which you can sit under the same teaching, under the same preaching, under the same sermons, with the same illustrations, with the same applications, and one person walks away edified, built up, with their life being transformed and changed, and the other person walks away saying, what's for lunch? Right? You can sit under the same thing. Because there are, it's not always dependent upon the words that are falling upon these appendages, but where do they, are they being processed in the heart, the ears of the heart? And that's why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Let him heed what I'm saying. Right? If it's doing more than falling upon your eardrums and causing that little membrane to vibrate, then heed what you're hearing in the heart, Jesus says. Now listen. Before we move forward, I want you to notice how this word comes into our lives. Okay? Jesus, whenever he pulls an illustration, when he pulls an image for the word from the natural surroundings, listen, he doesn't grab images from the Old Testament like he could have. He could have grabbed the image of a hammer right, that brings blows. He doesn't grab the image of a sword that cuts deep. He doesn't grab the image of a sickle that is put to the stalks to bring the grain into the field. He doesn't grab the image of a boulder, right? Jesus could have used the image of a boulder so that when the word comes, it comes to crush. It falls upon you. Because listen, when a boulder falls in a field, I don't know the boulder falls in it, but an avalanche, all right? So it comes rolling down the side of a mountain and it comes cascading and collapsing and it crushes the ground beneath it. What does it change? It changes that one little area of footprint that it has contact with, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't use any of those images. Because a sword, it can cut. Right? Or a hammer, it can give a, a blow. But what does a seed have that none of those other things have? See, all of those other things can bring about mechanical change. Right? Mechani- I mean, what is mechanical change? Mechanical change looks like this. It looks like going out and pouring a concrete slab and throwing some framing on it and then surrounding it with plywood and, 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 and creating a facade of bricks and putting shingles on top. You can create mechanical change in a landscape by building a house. But the image that Jesus uses doesn't describe mechanical change, but organic change. Because when a seed falls into the ground, Listen, it's not like a boulder falling and making an imprint in that one corner of the field because when a seed falls, that seed has everything in it necessary to change the entire landscape of the field. Because that seed sets root and it grows. It drops more seeds and more seeds and more seeds. So before long, you have a whole grove of oak trees from a tiny acorn. That's the image that Jesus uses here to describe the word. It's like a seed. And that seed is powerful, church. It's powerful. You know, it's so powerful that if the seed, if an acorn, like I've seen this. Some of you heard me use this illustration before, but I've seen this with my own two eyes, right? Whenever a seed falls, my, my, my family's property growing up, we had an acre of land in South Louisiana that had pine trees and oak trees all over it. 
And my family decided they were going to build a, a, a breezeway and a driveway, like a, a, a carport and a shop. They brought a, a contractor in who poured concrete. But listen, as those oak trees that surrounded that property or surrounded that carport continued to grow, because there's, I mean, listen, they're massive oak trees, taller than this building. Okay, they've been there for hundreds of years. But as they can, and they're still, they're still spreading. But as those roots continued to spread and they came into contact with that concrete, you know who won? Not the concrete, but the tree. It caused it to buckle in places and crack in places. Because anytime the seed would get lodged on the, under the side or wedged between the, the soil and, 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 the, and the concrete, it has the potential to grow and find its way out and the roots expand under there, collecting all the moisture and displacing the soil and cracking those concrete slabs in two. Because the Word, listen, the Word is that powerful. See, no matter how hard things are in your life, no matter how difficult things are in your life, no matter how hardened you are towards the things of God. Listen, I wasn't looking for it, but when the Word came to me, listen, it produced powerful change in my life. And listen, it continues to do so as it continues to break parts of my life off. And I could tell you some stories, but we don't have time. So, we're going to keep moving. <laughs> it continues to break parts of my life into pieces. This is the Word. And the hearing of that Word, it happens beneath the surface. It happens in the heart. And Jesus says, you can hear with four kinds of hearts this morning. And the first kind of heart Jesus says you can hear with, church, is, is this, a hard heart. It's a hard heart. In verse 4, it says, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And then in verse 15, when Jesus gives an explanation of the parable, he says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay? Now the path would have been that area which would have been trampled upon um, by, by anyone who was traveling through that field, and the soil would have gotten compacted so they wouldn't have fallen down and gotten buried into the soil, but it would have sat on top. And he describes the birds coming and taking that seed for themselves. And Jesus says, that's what Satan does, is he comes and he snatches the Word before it has time to set root. Because you can hear with a hard heart. Now listen, at first glance, we may be inclined to think that the only the only ones Satan comes to snatch the word from are unbelievers. Now, what I say this morning, that is most certainly true. It's most certainly true whenever the good news of Jesus falls upon the hardness of the human heart. There are times in which Satan does come and he snatches that seed away and people per per persist in unbelief. But listen, I want you to know something this morning, that Satan's schemes not only pertain to unbelievers, but also to those who profess faith in Jesus. Because He will come and snatch away the Word before it has time to set root in your heart. And He employs His tactics there as well. Now listen, Satan doesn't have a whole lot of new stuff. He keeps using the same stuff over and over and over again. Okay? And there's several things that He will use in your life and in mine to try to snatch the Word away before it can set root. He will try to use... Doubt. He will sow seeds of doubt in your life. 
in the same way that he did with our first parents. You remember what happened in the garden? Whenever Satan comes and he slithers up there and he says what? Did God really say? He sowed seeds of doubt in the mind of Eve. Did God really say not to eat of any tree in the garden? So he sows seeds of doubt and deception, right? He twists and maligns and manipulates the truth. So not only does he cause us to doubt what God has said, but also he manipulates the content of what God has said. So that's one way that he might, might try to snatch away the seed, but there's also... The, the, tech, the, the tactic or the scheme of fear that he tries to employ. Not only, listen, did he, not only does he say, did God really say, but sometimes he'll whisper into our ears, what will they say? And listen, the fear of man is powerful and crippling and paralyzing in your life. Like, if there is a fear of what other folks will think, what other folks will say about us, if we were to step forward in obedience to receive what God has said and let it bear fruit in our lives. Did God really say? What will they say? And then third, pride. Pride. Or Satan might whisper in our ear, isn't what you want better than what he wills? In other words, don't you know better? I know God says this, but don't you, isn't your desire better than his design? Isn't what you want better than what he wills? Isn't that going to bring you more fulfillment if you, if you just give, give vent to your full desires and do whatever it is that you want? Who is he to hold you back? Right? Satan will whisper those things in an attempt to snatch away what God is sowing in our life through the Word. And I wonder how many of us are hearing with a hard heart. See, to hear with a hard heart oftentimes looks like hearing with the intellect only. Okay, So you hear, and maybe you understand cognitively what's being said, but it never sets root deep down. Before Satan comes and snatches it away. Listen, let me ask you a question. Are there times in your life where you feel like you're, when, when God's word is coming to you, like seed being sown, that as it sets root in your heart, you feel like you're waking up from a dream or a trance with the word of God around your necks. It's got you. You can't hardly breathe because it's so real and it's so palpable in your life. You ever had that experience? If not, you might just be hearing only with the intellect and hearing with a hard heart. Second of all, Jesus says, not only can you hear with a hard heart, but with a shallow heart. See, one of the things that... Um, I, I, so, <laughs> I need to be better at this, okay? But a couple of months ago, I was walking into the store and I noticed some cut flowers, doing some grocery shopping on my day off. And I saw these beautiful flowers sitting in the little containers there at the front of the store. They always put them at the front of the store, right? Just to, just to get you. So I saw some cut flowers, and I thought, my wife and daughter would really appreciate some of these flowers. And so I bought some flowers. I brought them home. And I wrote a little card to my wife. And I said, I bought these flowers 
uh, because they were so beautiful. They reminded me of your beauty, right? I know. I know. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Listen, that's just one thing and all the other things I screw up, okay? But listen, I, I brought them home, set them, you know, put the fresh flower food in the vase, put the flowers in the water, and they sat there on the counter, and they sat there for a number of days. Bought some for my daughter as well. She put them in her room, in her window seal, right? and they just enjoyed those flowers. But over the course of time, those cut flowers began to do what? They began to wilt, didn't they? So the petals began to droop, and the brilliant colors on them began to fade. They began to turn brown. Why? Because they had no source of life outside of themselves. Right? They were, there was no root in them. And Jesus says, when you hear with a shallow heart, it's like a cut flower. That for a moment, there is, there is beauty to it. And you're, there's, you're excited about it. But over the course of time, it withers and it dies and it bears no lasting fruit in your life. Listen, to hear with, like with a shallow heart oftentimes isn't to hear with the intellect only, but oftentimes it's to hear with the emotions only. And to respond initially, very favorably, very emotionally, right? These are people who get worked up into a frenzy whenever they hear the Word. But whenever they go out the doors of the church into their normal everyday life, the seed has been sown. And they've responded with emotion, and yet there is no lasting fruit because there is no root. They were never truly received the Word. It may be that they wanted someone who would be someone that would be a blesser, not a Savior. Right? Who would give them things, but not give them Himself. And receive them into fellowship. Why do I say that? Because if you look at the text, what you're going to see is this is that whenever Jesus describes the shallow heart, listen to what He says. He says, these are the ones who were sown on rocky ground. The ones that when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy. And they had no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. In other words, what Jesus says is this. They they receive the Word with a great deal of emotional fervor. And yet, whenever they face opposition, whenever they face trial, whenever they face persecution, whenever they face hardship, whenever they experience seasons of distress in their life, they fall back. In other words, when the temperature rises in their life, they wilt. And the reason that they wilt is because when the temperature rises and the circumstances of their lives are no longer favorable, Here's the the reality, is that they have lost what they were coming to Christ for, the favorable circumstances and realities, and so they wilt away from Him, no longer persevering in the face of opposition and hardship because they lost what they were coming to Christ for to begin with. See, hearing with a shallow heart often, often looks like immediate emotion but no lasting change. In their life. Jesus said, that's the second way you can hear. Second kind of heart you can hear with. Third kind of heart you can hear with. Not just a hard heart or a shallow heart, but a crowded heart. Jesus says the other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns, in verse 7, grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
And others, he says in the explanation, are the ones that fell among thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says there's several things that can crowd out the fruitfulness of the word in your life. He says one of them is deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. And listen, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a part of the deceit that comes whenever we are affluent to b- makes us believe that we are self-sufficient so we don't need to hear from the Lord. We've got everything together for ourselves. And, and riches can begin to choke out the fruitfulness of the Word, the cares of this life. Listen, how many of you have had the cares of this life this week seem to rise up like thorns in your life that would prick and poke and choke out the, all, the, all the energy that you might give to saturating your life with God's Word. Anyone else? I saw a few hands. I'll raise mine as well. Listen, the cares of this world, the daily realities of life, that would take our focus off of Christ and place them on car issues, <laughs> family burdens, right? Financial struggles. See, the cares of this world will envelop all of our energy and all of our attention so that there is none left to give to bearing fruit with the Word, the seed that God is sowing into our lives. Church. And I wonder how many of us this morning would, have, would say our hearts are so crowded and so divided in so many other directions that we're giving so much attention to other things in our lives that may be temporal, but they are not eternal. That may be urgent, but they are not more important than the work that God wants to do in us by sowing seed. You can hear with a crowded heart. The last heart that Jesus says you can hear with is a fertile heart. A fertile heart. He says in verse 8 and verse 20, he says, The other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He says, They are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, most of us who have been Christians for any amount of time, we may believe that we're hearing with a fertile heart because we affirm intellectually the word that's being preached or that we're reading. Or we may believe that we're hearing with a fertile heart because we get really excited about the Word whenever it gets preached. Or we may think that we're hearing with a fertile heart because we're in constant contact with the Word. But Jesus says the marker of a fertile heart is not intellectual understanding. The marker of a fertile heart is not emotional fervor. The marker of a fervent heart is not that you are constantly in contact with it. But the marker of a fertile heart is fruitfulness. That's what Jesus says. And not just any kind of fruitfulness, but notice what he says. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now let me tell you something. Ancient Palestine was not Nebraska. Okay? It was not Kansas. And even in Nebraska or Kansas, in some of the most fertile places on the earth, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold would be a bumper crop. Much less than ancient Palestine where the fields are full of rocks and brush. So listen, church, what do you think Jesus is saying? 
So the marker of a fertile heart is a fruitful life that is born from supernatural work. Because that is not a natural harvest. That is a supernatural harvest. He says that's the marker of a fertile heart. That it comes to bear supernatural fruit. Now listen, as you think about the types of hearts Jesus says you're able to hear with this morning, and we do kind of a spiritual heart checkup, I want to ask you to consider if you fall and pray to Satan's schemes, so whenever the word goes forth, right, there's, there's a defense that flies up immediately out of pride, thinking that comes into conflict with what I want, and I'm going to pursue what I want rather than what he wills. Is there doubt that emerges in your heart? Is there a deceitfulness? Is there a hardness to your heart? Is it being taken away before it can ever set root? Let me ask you this. Is there a shallowness about your heart? Where you set forth immediately to begin to take steps to obey. But as soon as the first, the first difficulty arises in life, you fall back. Do you have so many other things that are choking out the fruitfulness of the word in your life? Or is there a fertileness and a fruitfulness to your life? Now listen, let, let, me get, let me get real practical here this morning for a moment. Listen, some of us in the room as parents, as you think about this, not only in relationship to your own life, but also in the lives of your children, Listen, I want you to know as one who planted and sowed for 12 years, praying that God would be gracious to give growth. Because listen, whether you realize it or not, you're not the gardener. Okay? You know that? He is the gardener. Not you, not me. So our responsibility is to be ones who receive the Word. Let Him tear out the rocks. Let Him tear out the thorns. Let Him till up the soil of the path that is hardened in your life. But listen, as one who sowed and watered and planted and prayed for God to bring a harvest in the life of my own son for 12 years, I want you to know, as parents, listen, it is not your job to save your children. The condition of their heart is going to be their responsibility. They're going to be accountable to that before the Lord. Your responsibility is a cast seed in their life. Talk about the gospel as you sit at the dinner table. Talk about the gospel as you drive to and from band practice and soccer practice. Talk about the gospel as you take vacations. Open the Word of God in your home and read it together. Pray together. Share the good news with them. And believe that God will ultimately one day be the gardener who's going to bear, bring about fruit in their life of belief, of faith, of trust, that they may begin to walk with Him and honor Him and obey Him. He's the gardener, not you. Listen, if you will believe that, it will, it will, it will burden you, but it will relieve you of that burden at the same time. 
the exact same time. But what your kids need to see more than anything from you as parents, listen, is you receiving the Word into your life and allowing the gardener to bear supernatural, exponential fruit through you. And so listen, if the marker of a fertile heart is fruitfulness, it's not understanding, okay? It's not excitement. It's not contact, but it's fruitfulness. Then how do you get a fertile and fruitful heart, church? That's the question. I want to answer it for you, and then we're going to be done this morning. Here's how you get a fertile and fruitful heart, is by believing on the one that was buried for you. Listen, in John chapter 12, we find this amazing passage of Scripture where we're told in John 12, in verse 23, Jesus is responding to a question And he says this, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, for the world to see Him as He is, for who He is, that He would be glorified. Right? That He would bring, you know what that word means? It means this, essentially, to make the God of the universe visible to the world, to be raised up so that the world, He might be brought close, this one who is far removed and transcendent, that He might become near and that the world might see Him for who He is. This hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And He says, here's how I'm going to be glorified. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Church, do you know that what Jesus is talking about there is Himself He's saying the time's come for the Son of Man. Listen, I'm going to be glorified. The world's going to see me for who I am. And the way they're going to see me for who I am is that I'm going to be like a grain of seed that falls into the ground that gets covered over by the earth. He says that's the only way for me to be glorified unto all the nations. And here's why. Because unless that seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Jesus says, I could, I could stay here and you could put me up on a little platform and I could be the seed that you show off for the rest of eternity, but I will never bear the kind of fruit unless I lose my life. Unless I fall into the ground and die because only then will I spring forth and bear life eternal with all kinds of fruit extending to all kinds of people to begin to break up the, the hard-heartedness of man to begin to set roots and clear out the rocks so that, so that the roots can set deeply into the hearts of men and women. Only if I'm laid into the ground and buried for you will I be able to uproot all the thorns and thistles and clear out the land so that this fruitfulness isn't choked out of your life. See, the only way to have a fertile heart is to believe on the one who was buried in your place. Church, the way to get a fertile heart is not to look up 
could wake up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better. You know what that's called? It's called religion. And Jesus says, Jesus says, if you want a fertile heart, come to me, believe on me. Yield to me. Let me be the gardener who will remove the rocks. Let me be the gardener who will till up the soil. Let me be the gardener who will burn away all the thorns. And then you will find there's fruitfulness in your life. And the soil becomes fertile. Have you ever done that? Have you ever believed on Christ? I'm not asking you, have you ever walked an aisle? I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you ever gotten emotional at church camp when you were 12? I'm not asking you, did you go to private school? I'm not asking you, were you homeschooled? I'm not asking you, did you go to FCA in public school? I'm asking you, did you get married in a church? I'm asking you, have you ever believed on Christ, given up control of your life? Have you ever died? So that He might bring you to life and through you bear much fruit. If you have not this morning, I'll be at the back of the room. I would love to visit with you about what that means and how to take that step. If you have, let me ask you, church, do a little heart checkup this morning and consider, is there some fallow ground in my life that I need the gardener to till? Are there some rocks in my life that I need the gardener to remove? Are there some thorns in my life that I need the gardener to burn away? So that as the seed of his word falls on the soil of my life, it will be fertile and bear much fruit to His glory. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that as we pray. I'll give you some space and I'll close us. And then we're going to sing as we close our service. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I want to acknowledge before my brothers and sisters that I have found myself, even recently, with a crowded heart, with many things vying for my attention, many things vying for my affection. That, Father, I believe has choked out fruitfulness in my own life. Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, burn away the thorns and the thistles? Father, would you make my heart fertile 
and fruitful. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters in this room today. Father, I pray that we would not confuse understanding the Word with fruitfulness. I pray that we would not understand excitement about the Word with fruitfulness. I pray that we would not misunderstand or confuse sitting under the Word with fruitfulness. But we through faith in Your Son who was like a seed that fell into the ground and was buried for us so that He might rise and bear fruit to change the landscape, not only of our lives, but of this land and of this world. Through faith and repentance of giving up control of our lives, afresh today might we find the path to be tilled, the rocks to be removed, and the thorns be burned. That we might bear fruit. I pray that we'd be a church when the world looks at us, they would see just an exponential supernatural fruit being born in our lives. That we might be able to testify to Your grace and Your goodness. I pray that in our homes we would find that to be true. Pray that in the lives of our children we'd find it to be true. Would you continue to work in their lives to do what only you're able to do, to save and sanctify. So Father, as we sing this morning, we continue to reflect upon what your word has said to us. May we walk away today the deeper dependence upon you as the gardener to change the landscape. Your word might come in power in our lives. And we would give you the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.